0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. The truth is the most
1: convincing story that maps onto reality
0: It's Tuesday, June 14th, 2022, the 510th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Now, you may notice that the sound is a little bit different. I am recording from a different location for the rest of this week, so I hope it's not too distracting. And if it is, you can just simply uh, yell at me or complain about me on the internet or something. A big thank you to all of those people who have taken the initiative and signed up to listen to the show and receive each episode on the day it is released by going to Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com and signing up for a paid subscription. The podcast will be exclusive to paid subscribers on Substack if you want the on-time release. It will be up on other platforms a couple of days later. But if you want to stay on my timeline, you can subscribe for $5 a month, which will break down to less than a quarter per episode. And you will also get the on-time releases of any of my writing that gets posted up on Substack. So yesterday's episode was a little out there talking about the plan And about whether or not Bill Barr and people like Mike Pence might be good guys or bad guys. We talked about AI and whether or not it was becoming sentient as the technocrats tried to birth into the world their new computer god. So we were a little out there. But hey, it can't all be calling AOC a hypocrite. You know what I mean, Ben Shapiro? Never mind, he doesn't. But ooh, liberal tears. No fraud, no fraud. There's been no evidence of fraud. 2000 mules. I don't understand it. Those videos, who knows what those were? Those papers, those could have been anything. They could have been petitions. To name AOC, biggest hypocrite in Congress. By my mug. But anyway, we were talking about whether or not Bill Barr is a good guy. Was he simply playing a role by saying that Donald Trump was detached from reality and that 2000 mules actually doesn't prove anything? In fact, it was a pretty weak attempt at trying to resurrect election fraud claims that surely have no basis. Was all of that just an act? And I said there are actually some smart people who ascribe to that theory. I don't. Those people might be right. I might be wrong. I understand what they're saying. I lean toward my position rather than theirs. They lean the other way. All good. We could have a great discussion about it. Some of those people have made the point today that Bill Barr's comments have spurred the media into covering his comments and thereby covering 2000 mules and perhaps bringing more awareness to the documentary. I suppose it's possible that liberals out there obsessed with the January 6th committee might see Bill Barr's comments and think, oh, maybe that 2000 mules is not something that would scare and upset me. Maybe it is something that I could watch so that I can make fun of of Trump supporters in my life and tell them how very stupid they are after watching this movie. And maybe they'll go ahead and watch that movie and realize that, oh, wait a second. This is not what I was told. I was told this would be very dumb and make Trump supporters look very dumb as well. And instead, it just makes me believe that the entire 2020 election was a fraud and that every other election is obviously a fraud as well. Now, does that happen? Maybe. Maybe it happens in small numbers. Maybe it happens in big numbers. But I know that for Bill Barr to come out and say the things that he says, this thing better be working. His comments had better be waking liberals up and getting them to watch 2000 Mules. Or else, why is he saying that stuff? He's saying it on a fairly large stage. That was the national news coming out of yesterday's uh, second episode of the final season of very violent insurrection, the January 6th extravaganza. And I suspect what most of the child brains in that mainstream audience will take from Bill Barr's display is that he thinks Trump is detached from reality. And so is anyone who believes that the 2020 election was stolen. Also, that 2000 mules is a crock and not worth anyone's time. I think that is what the audience is going to take away from it, but I'm open to being wrong. And again, I respect all the people with an opinion different than mine, but what I believe we've seen from Bill Barr is a person who was in a position to do certain things and instead chose not to, and is now doubling down on many of those choices. Him coming out and calling Hillary Clinton seditious is not something that makes up for allowing election fraud and then lying about it, in my mind. And I don't think that you can just hand wave those claims as if they're totally irrelevant, and this is all surely part of a staged performance, though I suppose it may be. We shall see. So there was supposed to be another episode of Very violent insurrection, the J6 extravaganza, tomorrow. But that episode has been canceled. Representative Zoe Lofgren, a very uh, handsome woman who looks like the love child of Mark Milley and Randy Quaid from Kingpin, announced that tomorrow's episode is canceled because they're very small video staff is not going to be prepared to hold up their end of the television production. Now, I'm not sure if this is a problem with the network television producer that they brought on to display this farce to the American people or... Perhaps the January 6th committee just realized that there are 14,000 hours of unreleased security footage from the Capitol that day, and they're just starting to get on it after 17 months. But apparently there must be some final touches they need to make on their video package, and it's just not going to be ready in time. But regardless, this is just more evidence that the J6 committee, illegitimate as it is, is also a complete and total clown show. Absolute, utter incompetence going on here. They had their first hearing in prime time. That flopped to the point where they haven't even bothered reporting on the ratings. The hearing made No headlines whatsoever. They tried to claim that Trump's own family thought he was absurd. They had abandoned him. They had betrayed him. None of that worked. No one cared. They gave another episode yesterday. You got the bar comments, but then you have Fox News's political director making zero impact whatsoever, not even a small ripple. It's like tossing a piece of sand into a lake and wondering why you missed the splash. And then you had the all-star panel of all five MSNBC hosts who regularly just dominate the ratings and wow their nightly audiences with global communist conspiracy theories shouting at one another about how great it was that finally they had proved that Trump was really trying to do something with the mailboxes back in 2020. You see, mail-in ballots, they used to be a Republican thing. The Republicans put the mail-in ballots in there so they could cheat. And then in this cycle, Trump realized he was going to be destroyed by mail-in ballots, so he tried to upset the entire system. To prevent that from happening, he knew that the story, according to Chris Hayes, of the Red Mirage was so real. He was so scared of it. He knew that all the votes were going to come in after the election, and he tried to shut it down. Ooh, what a criminal. The whole thing is nuts. They're trying to prove that a sitting president attempted a coup while he was in office and the plot of his coup was making sure that election law was properly followed. I mean, imagine what kind of third world dictatorship we'd live in. If Trump had successfully pulled off that coup, this dictator, he just He refuses to violate the law or allow anyone else to either. He wants to make sure all the votes are counted. He wants to make sure that the military follows the proper chain of command. What are we going to do? This is some kind of banana republic we got here. Thank goodness Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson are on the case. And how come Adam Kinzinger isn't front and center anymore? So they go through part one. They go through part two. Both are almost complete and total flops. And now they've canceled part three, claiming technical issues on the video side. And it's possible that they have canceled the episode because nobody is watching it and they don't want to further embarrass themselves. You'd think that they would have brought some really strong new information to the public in the first episode if they wanted people to keep watching. And if they actually thought these broadcast hearings were going to do anything for their side. But so far, they've come up completely empty. So maybe they just have realized that it's useless, as I said it would be from the beginning. I think last week, early last week, I said they might make it through two episodes of this, and then it'll be finished. But it's also possible that they anticipate bigger headlines tomorrow, and they don't want to have anything else competing with very violent insurrection, a J6 extravaganza. And one would anticipate that the bigger headline could be about the Supreme Court releasing one or both of the two major decisions that are expected to come out and expected to side with conservatives and with the Constitution. And I'm talking, of course, about uh, the end of Roe versus Wade as we know it and the gun case in New York that may, in effect, make the Constitution your concealed carry permit as honestly it should be. So perhaps they're just leaving the airwaves open for court coverage and riot coverage because it seems like they've got riots scheduled. And I know what you're thinking, redeemable communists who probably only came to this show a couple of months ago. You're thinking they don't plan those riots. Those riots are in response to grave crimes committed by police officers against unarmed black men as acts of racism. It turns out the police are actually hunting black men, hence the rioting, except for the fact that they do plan the riots. The riots are funded and organized, and we know that they plan the riots because even Time Magazine's intrepid reporter Molly Ball reported on planned riots in the event That Trump claimed victory in the November 2020 election. Her major piece came out in Time magazine at the beginning of February 2021, and it described a massive response planned by Democrats to make sure that even after all the voting had ended, they could still emerge, quote unquote, victorious in the 2020 elections. So maybe they've realized that the television show is a complete and total failure. Maybe they know that other stuff is coming tomorrow and they don't want to compete for people's attention. Or maybe there are far more significant problems. And Donald Trump released an extended statement, a letter last night. 12 pages long, and I want to go through that with you because I think it's important. I think all of it is important. And while we go through it, I want you to keep in mind the fact that Donald Trump never conceded that election, never. The November 3rd, 2020 election has been under protest the entire time. It has been contested the entire time. Donald Trump never conceded. And it's worth understanding, even if you're not convinced, that it is legitimately possible, and I believe legitimately true, that nothing that happened after that fraudulent election has been legitimate. All of it is a product of that underlying fraud. And fraud vitiates everything, everything that emerges From that act of fraud is itself illegitimate as well, which is one of the reasons why I don't get too concerned when they start passing these ridiculous programs or when Joe Biden is out there signing his fake executive orders. And I believe that if I am right about all of this, the problems that we have seen emerging over the last 17 months can be undone or potentially are being dealt with behind the scenes right now. So here is Trump's statement. Our nation is suffering. Our economy is in the gutter. Inflation is rampant. Gas prices have reached an all-time high. Ships are unable to unload cargo. Families cannot get needed baby formula. We are an embarrassment around the world. Our withdrawal from Afghanistan was a disaster that cost us precious American blood and gave $85 billion worth of the best military equipment on earth to our enemy. Millions and millions of illegals are marching to the border and invading our country. We have a White House in shambles with Democrats just this week declaring that Biden is unfit to run for re-election. And what is the Democrat Congress focused on? A kangaroo court hoping to distract the American people from the great pain they are experiencing. 17 months after the events of January 6th, the Democrats are unable to offer solutions. They are desperate to change the narrative of a failing nation without even making mention of the havoc and death caused by the radical left just months earlier. Make no mistake, they control the government. They own this disaster. They are hoping that these hearings will somehow alter their failing prospects. A certain Democrat once said, It's the economy, stupid. Well, Democrats now seem to think that Americans are stupid. They are not. America is crumbling and Democrats have no solutions. Our nation has no hope of change for the better under Democrat leadership. People are desperate. Rather than solving problems, Democrats are rehashing history in hopes of changing the narrative. During my time in office, our nation was thriving. Our economy was strong and the price of gas was very low. Above all else, we were respected, perhaps like never before. America prospered under the Trump administration. And it's pretty hard to argue with any of that, even if you are still addicted to the central narrative in some way. And all of that is more than bad enough. But then he gets into the January 6th stuff, the sham investigation. The January 6th Unselect Committee is disgracing everything we hold sacred about our Constitution. If they had any real evidence, they'd hold real hearings with equal representation. They don't, so they use the illegally constituted committee to put on a smoke and mirrors show for the American people in a pitiful last-ditch effort to deceive the American public again. Our Constitution protects the rights to confront accusers, honors the right to fair trials, and holds the right to legal representation as paramount in our justice system. Equal representation and the opportunity to offer rebuttal evidence is fundamental in our legal process. The committee has obliterated those rights and is making a mockery of justice. They have refused to allow their political opponents to participate in this process and have excluded all exculpatory witnesses and anyone who so easily points out the flaws in their story. MAGA witnesses were interrogated behind closed doors and ordered not to record their own testimony. Members of my staff, my friends, supporters, volunteers, donors, were subjected to hours upon hours of inquisition, oftentimes having nothing to do with January 6th. Their very lives were turned upside down for obvious reasons. They were told it was an ongoing investigation, and any reproduction of the interrogation would be viewed as an attempt to interfere in the investigation. They were gagged, threatened, and in some cases, ruined. And that is important to understand about this January 6th committee. This is not a normal legal investigation where both sides have the opportunity to defend their positions. There isn't a single member of the January 6th committee or anyone involved with that committee who has any interest in the truth or representing another viewpoint beyond the central narrative. This is an enforcement of the media narrative, of the narrative of the Democrat Communist Party, of the narrative of the very violent insurrection. Anything that disputes the story they want to tell is being intentionally left out and ignored. Yet the unselect pseudo committee has coordinated with their media puppets to broadcast their witnesses on national television without any opposition, cross-examination or rebuttal evidence. The American public has a right to know the truth and see every witness, but these corrupt officials are trying to force feed the public with their politically opportune sideshow. What are the members of this treasonous committee afraid of? Why can't they let the countervailing opinion be heard? Why are they hiding evidence from the public and only showcasing information that favors the Democrats' tall tale? They're afraid of losing the narrative because their political opponents could easily show how the committee is lying to the nation and has stripped Americans of their rightful power. Democrats created the narrative of January 6th to detract from the much larger and more important truth that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen. Politicians from both parties, but mostly the Democrats, worked in conjunction with corporate elitists to strip Americans of our right to elect our own leaders. To do so, corrupt officials violated their own state laws. And pausing for a second... A very smart attorney friend of mine brought up an interesting point yesterday, and that was that most state laws and state constitutions had been suspended by the emergency orders those governors put in to respond, quote unquote, to COVID. And I wonder if things on the Democrat communist side of the fence might eventually get so desperate that they make that argument publicly that they went out and suspended their state's constitutions. Therefore, they didn't have to follow any of the voting laws and election laws put into place by their state legislatures. I wonder if they will actually make the argument that because of the quote-unquote public health emergency, none of their laws had to be enforced at all, including their election laws. Now, I don't necessarily think that we will get there, but it would be very interesting if we did. That would be a bold, bold claim. But they have used that argument to keep COVID measures in place, mandates and restrictions. It's possible that they don't care about violating their own state laws at all because they believe that they simply turned those laws off. The separation of powers is designed to make sure that no officials become dictators by granting the authority to make laws with the legislature and execute laws with the executive branch. No one office should have complete power. It must be separated among different offices. In 2020, separation of powers went out the window the state executive branch in both red and blue states decided to completely ignore state laws, make up their own rules and execute them. In other words, they became the little dictators our constitution was designed to prevent. And while that seems clearly and obviously true, that is also a pretty big claim that we should recognize. We really do need to understand the emergency powers that these governors are able to enact pretty much whenever they feel like it and almost entirely unchallenged. Now, I'm not saying people didn't challenge these emergency orders, but quite often the courts upheld them because as we know from gun laws and all sorts of other laws, the law itself is not enough to deter people who are committed to breaking those laws You can look at the Gavin Newsom's of the world and the Gretchen Whitmer's and the Tom Wolfs, and the Tony Evers and even some of the Republican governors like Larry Hogan in Maryland or Doug Ducey in Arizona. They acted in service of a larger agenda. Their first commitment was not to the United States Constitution nor even their own state's constitution because they went ahead and suspended that. They tried to make it so that they and everyone aligned with their agenda would be able to break the law at will and nothing could happen to them. But back to the statement, they illegally inflated voter rolls, illegally allowed harvested and stuffed ballots, abused the use of mail-in ballots, physically removed Republicans from counting facilities, abused the elderly in nursing homes, bribed election officials with donations, stopped counting on election night gave Democrats three extra days to harvest ballots and demanded that the American people believe it was legitimate. And those are actually only a few of the things that they did. There's no mention of the machines there. No mention of the abuse of the indefinitely confined status in a place like Wisconsin. No mention of the fact that California now allows their citizens to just Print their own ballots at home, no mention of Sharpie Gate in Arizona or people arriving at the polls to vote in person and being told that their vote has already been cast. The number of ways that that election was defrauded and manipulated go on and on and on. This entire charade of the unselect committee is a brazen attempt to detract the public's attention from the truth. The truth is that Americans showed up in Washington D.C. in massive numbers, but seldom revealed by the press on January 6th, 2021, to hold their elected officials accountable for the obvious signs of criminal activity throughout the election. Those who are supposed to be public servants are using the power of government against the people who entrusted them with the power. We've been betrayed a powerful statement for a president to make. Since the unselect committee refuses to allow their political opponents to participate in the hearings, the public likely won't hear from the many patriots who contradict the lies being broadcast, at least not in these hearings. This is all a ridiculous and treasonous attempt to cover up the fact that the Democrats rigged the election and are siphoning Americans' freedoms and power for their own benefit. And let's pause on that for a second, because treason is a big word that often gets thrown around and used figuratively just to mean any grave betrayal of the country. But for some more context on treason, this is Constitutioncenter.org. This summary is written by Paul Crane, who was with the U.S. Department of Justice and a professor of constitutional law named Deborah Pearlstein. Treason is a unique offense in our constitutional order, the only crime expressly defined by the Constitution and applying only to Americans who have betrayed the allegiance they are presumed to owe to the United States. While the Constitution's framers shared the centuries-old view that all citizens owed a duty of loyalty to their home nation— They included the treason clause, not so much to underscore the seriousness of such a betrayal, but to guard against the historic use of treason prosecutions by repressive governments to silence otherwise legitimate political opposition debate surrounding the clause at the constitutional convention, thus focused on ways to narrowly define the offense and to protect against false or flimsy prosecutions. The Constitution specifically identifies what constitutes treason against the United States and, importantly, limits the offense of treason to only two types of conduct. One, levying war against the United States, or two, adhering to the enemies of the United States, giving them aid and comfort. Although there have not been many treason prosecutions in American history—indeed, only one person has been indicted for treason since 1954— The Supreme Court has had occasion to further define what each type of treason entails. The offense of levying war against the United States was narrowly interpreted in Ex Parte, Bowman and Swarthout, 1807, a case stemming from the infamous alleged plot led by former Vice President Aaron Burr to overthrow the American government in New Orleans. The Supreme Court dismissed charges of treason that had been brought against two of Burr's associates, Bowman and Swarthout, on the grounds that their alleged conduct did not constitute levying war against the United States with the meaning of the treason clause. It was not enough, Chief Justice John Marshall's opinion emphasized, merely to conspire, quote, to subvert by force the government of our country, end quote, by recruiting troops, procuring maps, and drawing up plans. Conspiring to levy war was distinct from actually levying war. Rather, a person could be convicted of treason for levying war only if there was an actual assemblage of men for the purposes of executing a treasonable design. In so holding, the court sharply confined the scope of the offense of treason by levying war against the United States. The court construed the other treason offense authorized by the constitution similarly narrowly in Kramer versus United States, 1945. That case involved another infamous incident in American history, the Nazi saboteur affair. Kramer was prosecuted for treason for allegedly helping German soldiers who had surreptitiously infiltrated American soil during World War II. In reviewing Kramer's treason conviction, the court explained that a person could be convicted of treason only if he or she adhered to an enemy and gave that enemy aid and comfort. As the court explained, a citizen intellectually or emotionally may favor the enemy and harbor sympathies or convictions disloyal to this country's policy or interest, but so long as he commits no act of aid and comfort to the enemy, there is no treason. On the other hand, a citizen may take actions which do aid and comfort the enemy, making a speech critical of the government or opposing its measures, profiteering, striking in defense plants or essential work and the hundred other things which impair our cohesion and diminish our strength. But if there is no adherence to the enemy in this, if there is no intent to betray, there is no treason. In other words, the Constitution requires both concrete action and an intent to betray the nation before a citizen can be convicted of treason. Expressing traitorous thoughts or intentions alone does not suffice. So intent without action is not treason, and action without intent is not treason. To further guard against the prospect that the government could use false or passion-driven accusations of treason to undermine political opponents, the treason clause provides that the offense may only be proven by, quote, open confession in court or on, quote, the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act. The overt act requirement was designed both to limit the kind of substantive behavior treason could punish, only conduct, not mere expression, and to ensure that the conduct itself demonstrated a defendant's intention to betray the United States. Believing that no witness could meaningfully testify to a defendant's internal state of mind, the Kramer court made clear that the defendant's disloyal intent must be evident from the witnessed acts themselves. The government would have to prove that each overt act alleged actually gave aid and comfort to the enemy. The two witness requirement was likewise geared to raising the bar to prosecution, applying at least to all acts of the defendant, which are used to draw incriminating inferences that aid and comfort have been given. While there was no dispute in Kramer's case that he had met with a man who turned out to be a German soldier in the United States, the court concluded that these facts alone failed to establish Kramer had actually given that enemy soldier aid and comfort. The court accordingly reversed Kramer's treason conviction. The Constitution also narrowed the scope of punishment for treason as compared to English common law. The final clause of this section establishes that while Congress has the general power to establish the penalties for committing treason, Congress may not, quote, work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person convicted of treason. Corruption of blood is a reference to English common law, which prohibited family members from, among other things, receiving or inheriting property from a person convicted of treason under the constitution. That punishment may not extend beyond the life of a person convicted of treason. So let's go back to what Trump actually said. Here's that paragraph. Since the unselect committee refuses to allow their political opponents to participate in the hearings, the public likely won't hear from the many patriots who contradict the lies being broadcast, at least not in these hearings. This is all a ridiculous and treasonous attempt to cover up the fact that Democrats rigged the election and are siphoning Americans' freedoms and power for their own benefit. So it seems to me that what he is asserting is that there is this conspiracy to act against the country. That conspiracy has been put into action and the people going along with it are acting with the intent of betraying the U.S. Constitution. And that seems pretty obviously true. Now, every Joe Biden voter would think that that is preposterous because they don't believe in election theft. But the election theft is real. The conspiracy to commit that election theft is real. And it seems like we're not far from finding out that the election theft was enacted at the behest of and in collaboration with foreign actors. Again, it's not just about stealing an election. They overthrew a duly elected president of the United States in a coup that spanned six years and is ongoing. But let's return to this statement. Without the ability to have political, legal, or witness representation from conservatives in this kangaroo court, it's up to American patriots to arm themselves with the information. This hearing isn't about January 6th. It's about November 3rd. And here's what happened. On election night, America watched as my lead grew and grew over Joe Biden, as I was set to claim another victory. By the morning of November 4th, the day after the election, I led by 700,000 votes in Pennsylvania, 300,000 in Michigan, and hundreds of thousands in Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin. Then the same little dictators who destroyed the separation of powers made the treasonous decision to stop counting. And let's stop again. He is saying that the decision to stop counting votes on election night was itself an act of treason. And 19 and a half months later, we still do not know who made that call. But to claim that it is treasonous means that it was either an American who made the decision or perhaps an American who acted at the behest of some foreign individual to stop the count. These same states who had counted millions of ballots in a single day had to stop counting in order to count a few hundred thousand ballots over the next four days to call the race on November 7th. And that's exactly right. And it is such a glaringly obvious statement and such an understood idea that it's insane that anyone even makes the argument. They say they need more time to count these other ballots or they're going to wait for the mail in ballots to come in. And we're all supposed to believe that huge portions of the overall vote are cast by mail the day of the election and just don't get there in time. So we can't release the results until we wait for the mail to do what the mail does. And then when all of those very real votes come in without a matching signature Without the timely postmark required by law, oh, well, we just have to count all the votes. It's ridiculous to think that Florida and Texas can finish out their election on election night, but California needs months. California had their primary election one week ago, last Tuesday. They now have 72% of their vote reported they had 66% of their vote reported last Wednesday. So they've only gone up 6% in six days. They got that first 66% done in 12 hours. And then it's taken them six days to go up another 6%. You see, the thing is, no one talks about it anymore. No one pays attention to it. No one cares, but we care. We care. How is it? that they go so slowly. If a mail-in vote was mailed in last Tuesday, it has surely arrived by now. Why can't they count it? Why can't they count that vote and release the results? What is going on in California? Why does it take them a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month to get their election results in? And the answer to that question can very likely be found by looking at which California races still have not been called. And in terms of this particular primary, most of those instances occur when figuring out who the opponent of the Democrat favorite will be in each and every race. Because in California, they have what they call a jungle primary, which means Everyone, no matter what party, is on the same ballot and the top two candidates compete in the general election, even when it is two Democrats, as it often is in California. And Trump addresses this question. Why would it take four more days to count a few hundred thousand votes when they had counted millions in one day? They needed time to traffic the ballots and manipulate the outcome of the election. The swamp was so determined to keep their stranglehold on power that they delayed the results of the election so that they could find, manufacture, or produce more ballots after they knew how many they needed to beat me. They cheated. There's no reasonable explanation for why it took so much longer to count the few remaining ballots as opposed to the millions on election day, other than they needed to traffic more ballots, and it took four days to produce the ballots and do it. They couldn't have done it without an elaborate ballot trafficking scheme. Highly respected, true the votes, Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips showed the nation exactly what Democrats illegal ballot trafficking scheme looks like. They spent years investigating election crimes and their hard work provided America with indisputable proof so many had been waiting for. True the Vote cooperated with Dinesh D'Souza to produce the blockbuster documentary 2000 Mules, which provides video evidence of the ballot trafficking scheme Democrats have created. Engelbrecht and Phillips used geofencing data that they purchased to isolate and identify potential mules like drug mules. In this context, mules are those paid to illegally traffic ballots from nonprofit organizations and drop them into the ballot boxes. The search criteria they used was to isolate cell phone data that had been to 10 or more ballot drop boxes while also visiting at least five identified nonprofit organizations during a two-week period. There's no legitimate reason for any individual to visit 10 or more ballot drop boxes. Why would anyone need to vote 10 times? Couple that with the idea that the same individuals are also visiting the offices of liberal nonprofits in the same period. At least one whistleblower at one of the nonprofits in Yuma came forward and confirmed that these organizations act as trafficking hubs for the mules to pick up the ballots to drop off at the drop boxes. One woman in Arizona has already pled guilty to a class six felony for participating in this ballot trafficking scheme. And Democrats are getting tax write-offs for this behavior. And he's talking about donations to these nonprofits, these non-governmental organizations. They actually claim to be bipartisan groups that are expanding access to voting. And just to recount that Bill Barr discussion from yesterday, what is the likelihood that Bill Barr is unaware of that Yuma, Arizona case? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Guillermina Fuentes pled guilty to a class six felony for being involved in a ballot trafficking ring run by an NGO. And we are told that she and others from that ballot trafficking ring have been cooperating and explaining what they know to authorities. So we shall see. True the vote and local law enforcement have the video surveillance showing the mules dropping ballots into the drop box, which confirms the geofencing data that Engelbrecht and Phillips had gathered. This is the same surveillance evidence that the FBI has used to identify January 6th protesters. In fact, the FBI has used this same type of evidence in 45 of the criminal cases against the January 6th protesters. The FBI is using the exact same kind of data that Bill Barr said was nonsense before the January 6th committee yesterday in investigating and prosecuting the very people the January 6th committee accuses of being involved in the very violent insurrection. Yet the dishonest media puts experts front and center to tell America that the truth of vote evidence is unreliable. It's the exact same evidence the FBI used against January 6th protesters. How can the evidence be an indispensable tool to identify January 6th protesters? But when applied to ballot traffickers, the science is unreliable and not precise. The hypocrisy is stifling. The swamp has blown the bottom out of how low they'll go to deceive the American public in order to keep their vice grip on power. Thankfully, Americans are taking responsibility for what they believe and simply no longer believe the narrative. The truth is, according to Joe Biden, that the swamp has created the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics, and it centers around ballot trafficking. And of course, everybody remembers the video clip of Joe Biden saying that and all the Biden voters said, oh, of course, he means that they've just put this massive organization in to prevent election fraud because it was Donald Trump that wanted to commit election fraud and steal the election. He's taking our mailboxes. The illegal ballot harvesting operation is an insult to the democratic process, but the kicker is the media feeding us the bogus line that this was the most secure election in U S history. What a load of baloney. The data shows us how compromised the system was. The math shows us that it changed the outcome of the election. And he goes step by step through each state, just as Dinesh D'Souza did in 2000 Mules. You can refer to that if you want the exact information. I'm going to skip over this part because it takes up a page and a half. And many of you already know the information. By the extremely strict standards of what was considered a mule in the 2000 Mules documentary, The math shows that on those mules alone, there was enough ballot trafficking to have turned the election in Georgia, Arizona, and Pennsylvania, and to have thrown other states into doubt. He says with just Georgia, Arizona, and Pennsylvania, and there were others, the electoral college vote would have been Trump 279 to Biden 259, but they cheated. And now look where we are as a country. But what if there were more? What if true the votes criteria to identify the mules was too conservative rather than using the requirement to identify someone who went to 10 drop boxes with five or more visits to liberal nonprofits? What if they looked for people who went to just five drop boxes? It's highly unlikely that anyone would need to go to five drop boxes while also visiting nonprofits in the same time span. The data is astonishing. Rather than 2,000 mules, the number jumps to 54,000 mules, okay? So 54,000 people in the areas they studied fit that slightly looser, yet still totally reasonable definition of what constituted a mule. All they did was reduce the number of drop boxes from 10 to 5. You have one vote you should go to, at most, one Dropbox. The best thing to do is go to zero Dropboxes and vote in person. So you shouldn't go to any Dropboxes. But if you're going to go to Dropboxes, the highest number of Dropboxes you should go to is one. If you go to five Dropboxes, it's pretty clear that you're doing something wrong. And let's be clear, this is not you passed by Five drop boxes, you drove past the location of a drop box. No, it's you were right next to that drop box. They have the location data accurate to within 18 inches. And they can also take into account the pattern of life for that device where that device normally goes. So if that drop box is sitting right outside the entrance to your apartment building, Well, that's not going to count because they know you live there and go past it all the time. And how about if they widened the search even more? The numbers become astronomical and the results would be a landslide victory for Trump. It is all on live tape produced by the government. And it certainly is all supposed to be because part of the Dropbox requirements were that they would be monitored by video and that the government would retain that video. We're finding out that wasn't always true. Continuing the conservative estimate of just three ballots per mule with 54,000 mules, the numbers spiked tremendously. In Wisconsin, 83,565 illegal votes were trafficked, more than four times the margin of victory. In Georgia, 92,670 illegal votes were trafficked, more than eight times the margin of victory. In Pennsylvania... 209,505 votes were trafficked, more than double the margin of victory. In Michigan, 226,590 votes were trafficked, tens of thousands of votes over the margin of victory. In Arizona, 207,435 votes were trafficked, almost 20 times the margin of victory. Using this slightly less conservative calculation, coupled with the geofencing traffic data, the same data used by law enforcement, I decisively won all of the contested states. The final electoral count should have been Trump 305 to Biden 233. That's just with those states. It's also highly likely that True the Vote did not uncover 100% of the mules, making the numbers much larger than a landslide in scope, and that there were many more mules out there affecting more of the election than we realize. This was not a close election. And he's exactly right about that. It was not a close election. It was not a close election anywhere in the country. There were 19 counties in the U.S. that voted for the winning presidential candidate since 1980. They're known as bellwether counties. I won 18 of the 19 bellwether counties, 18 of the 19 counties who consistently vote for the winning candidate voted for me. Yet we're supposed to believe that Joe Biden won the election. Joe Biden, a candidate who never left his basement and can't speak without a teleprompter, outperformed Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton in their two high-charged elections. Biden even outperformed Obama in black communities, but only important swing states. Isn't that amazing? It's impossible. And he breaks that down over the next page or so. And then he goes through at length the effect of the Mark Zuckerberg money on the election and most specifically in Wisconsin, where former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Michael Gabelman is the special counsel leading an election into the election fraud of 2020 in Wisconsin. And it's important to remember that not only did Mark Zuckerberg hand out hundreds of millions of dollars, he also attached clawback provisions, whereby all of the people that received money had to produce the intended results or else Mark Zuckerberg would be able to take the money back. And the final section here he calls pandemic of injustice. Beginning the night of November 3rd, Americans knew there was something wrong going on. Almost immediately, citizens around the country started filing lawsuits seeking information and clarification about the election. The year leading up to the election had been a year of violent liberal assaults on cities all around the country. Democrats made it known that they would rather burn cities to the ground than allow for a civilized political process. They knew their policies were failing, citizens weren't buying their hype, and they were losing their influence. So they spent the year creating an atmosphere of fear, and that's the environment in which concerned citizens were forced to file their lawsuits. Judges, including justices of the United States Supreme Court, were scared. Some were political hacks who refused to be the sole arbiter of such a strong political issue it was liberal fear-mongering. Rumors circulated that the justices devolved to shouting and argued intensely over how to handle the Texas versus Pennsylvania case. And that is the case that Attorney General of Texas Ken Paxton brought to the United States Supreme Court with 18 or 19 other states signing on to that case. 19 states in the country claiming That their statehood was being violated by fraudulent elections in other states. They were about to be governed, quote unquote, by a fake president due to fake elections, fraudulent elections in states controlled by the opposition political party. And you might remember that rumor he's referring to. It's pretty telling that he mentions it 19 months later. Was it really a rumor? there were stories about arguments in the Supreme Court chambers. The justices were scared of what might happen to them if they actually upheld the Constitution. They were worried about the rioters, or that's what they claimed. Surely it couldn't have been that John Roberts is compromised. Ultimately, the justices yielded to the same fear-mongering tactics Democrats had deployed for years. They punted and threw the case out on standing. Following their lead, every lower court threw the cases out on standing and usually without barely even looking at them. Some of the cases had well-established grounds for standing and one had even been in open litigation for 10 months before the court reversed itself and threw it out. Specifically, that happened in Georgia, where a court had ruled that the plaintiffs were entitled to review the original ballot images after granting them access to the files. Then defendants stalled for months. Ten months after the initial filing, the court decided the plaintiffs no longer had standing. What? On November 4th, 2020, Antrim County, Michigan, announced that 16,047 votes had been cast and Joe Biden received 7,769 and I received 4,509. In 2016, I had received 62% of the vote in Antrim, making the 2020 results particularly surprising. Mr. Bailey, an Antrim County voter, made some phone calls and the Antrim County clerk double-checked the results and issued new results. A closer look showed 18,059 votes cast in Antrim County. So that's already 2,000 more. Joe Biden received 7,289 votes and I received 9,783 votes, meaning I won 54% of the vote, which still seemed odd compared with the 2016 results. This also doesn't account for the difference in the number of votes cast. Why were they short and where did the new votes come from? Antrim County checked a third time and found 16,044 votes cast and that Joe Biden received 5,960, while I received 9,748, winning 60.75%. Jocelyn Benson, the Michigan Secretary of State, asserted the error was simply a clerical error because the clerk failed to update the Mancelona Township tabulator prior to election night for a down-ballot race and that the correct count was always on the tabulator tape. She insisted that the Antrim County clerk simply made a mistake, and this was not a cause to look closer at every county in Michigan. Benson shut the discussion down, but Bailey continued to fight. Matt DiPerno, Bailey's lawyer, aggressively pursued discovery in the case and successfully won a motion to audit the election machines in Antrim County. On April 9th, 2021, DiPerno released an exhibit in the Bailey case with additional findings from the experts examining the evidence, which found that. Despite critics saying otherwise, the voting machines were connected to the Internet and the officials knew they were connected. The exhibit produced email communications from election night discussing the terrible Internet connection. This also highlights the weird disinformation campaign waged immediately following the election to dispel the belief that the machines were connected to the Internet, despite the fact that it was true. Voting machines send the tallies. Via the Internet to allow the totals to be counted faster. Connecting them to the Internet does create some vulnerabilities, but does not mean any malicious activity actually took place. So why all the drama? Why all the hype from election officials across the country trying to convince the public the machines were not connected to the Internet when they knew that they were? Why not just say the machines were connected to the Internet, but no security breaches occurred if that was in fact true? Was it true? DiPerno continued to release exhibit after exhibit detailing technical specifics of anomalies and irregularities, raising questions from the 2020 election. The corrupt media continued to ignore and bury the story and hurled insults at DiPerno and his case. The court eventually dismissed the case, but not based on any of the evidence DePerno had amassed. It dismissed the case on procedural grounds. The plaintiff was asking for an audit of the election, and the Democrat Secretary of State told the court she had already conducted an audit. Therefore, the court ruled, the case was moot. No evidence presented, no witnesses to testify, just case dismissed. As usual, saved by the court. Cases around the country received the same treatment. Courts didn't want to be the sole arbiter of such a massive political issue, but they also shouldn't be afraid to do their job. State legislators, members of Congress, senators, governors, secretaries of state, and many other state and federal officials should do their jobs and protect their citizens' right to vote. But the swamp runs deep. I guess that turning around an election was a step too far. As we near the midterm elections, we're watching the swamp creatures circle the drain as true Americans step up to replace the corrupt establishment with patriots who will fight for our freedoms. The establishment is holding on as tightly as they can to their power as they watch it slip from their grasp. Our country is in a nosedive. Americans are struggling to fill their gas tanks, feed their babies, educate their children, hire employees, order supplies, protect our border from invasion, and a host of other tragedies that are 100% caused by Democrats who obtained power through a rigged election. And the people of the country are both angry and sad. Americans have very real pressing concerns about the basic necessities of life. What is Congress doing about it? They're doing everything they can to ignore and distract from the very real pain that they have caused this country. They want to talk about anything but the 2020 election results and the fact that they are the cause of our country's problems. Nobody brings this up, but as president, I have suffered years of vicious lies, scandals and innuendo concerning a fake and contrived narrative of Russia, Russia, Russia. The entire Russia hoax was a concoction made up by Hillary Clinton and the Democrat party. It was used as an excuse for her loss, but endured throughout my entire administration. It was a fake and fraudulent narrative, and now they're trying to do it again. Many other forms of cheating surfaced during 2020. Republican challengers were excluded from the process, bullied and berated. Corrupt officials moved to centralize the vote count away from precincts, making it easier to cheat. Some areas are reported to have had more votes than voters. That raises some questions. These are only a few of the many forms of cheating that took place in what I call the crime of the century and its cover up by the American media. This is merely an attempt to stop a man that is leading in every poll against both Republicans and Democrats by wide margins from running again for the presidency. The reason I am leading in the polls is because Democrats have caused record inflation, sky high gas prices, energy dependence on our adversaries, the education system, is in crisis, illegal aliens are invading our border, the supply chain has crippled our way of life, parents can't get baby formula, mandates have crippled businesses, and our way of life has been crushed by government regulations, the United States is being destroyed. The Democrats know that I would correct all of this, and they are doing everything in their power to stop me, but we can't be stopped, we have to save America. So now remember what I said at the beginning, Trump has never conceded. And if you believe there is a plan, as discussed yesterday, if you believe that perhaps devolution is at play, then what this sounds like to me is kind of a closing statement in the case against this coup. The evidence has been gathered. The evidence has matured. The public has come to understand the evidence. The majority of the country has realized that Donald Trump was not the evil villain he was portrayed as in the media. People can see that media bias. They can see Joe Biden's incompetence. They can see the complicity of his entire party and the people that they've been voting for, the people that they've been listening to for years and years. They can see the failures of the public health community, the lies of the media and the Democrats and many Republicans in the covid regime. They can see the failures of the vaccines and the miscommunications about those vaccines. They see the failure on the southern border. They see the failure in Ukraine. They see the failure in Afghanistan. They see that Joe Biden is looked at as a joke and a fool by the leaders of the world. Leaders of the world who, by the way, know that Joe Biden is not in control at all to begin with. It seems to me like Trump is making the case that Joe Biden is not the legitimate president of the United States. This is the closing statement. The evidence is there, the story has been told. He's putting the hammer down, and he's doing so with very specific, particular language. He mentions treason multiple times. He focuses in on that decision to stop the counting of the votes on election night, November 3rd, 2020. And he lists off the elements of complete and total breakdown by all of the systems of our government and society that are designed to prevent things like this from happening. These are the conditions where you would expect a president to exercise extraordinary authority in the interest of saving the nation. And when you consider that in the context of what else is going on, it looks like this is all leading to a moment we have anticipated for quite a long time. There are multiple storylines right now all reaching a crescendo. Foreign Affairs, The Hunter Biden Laptop, The exposure of election fraud, the collapse of the January 6th narrative, extraordinary inflation, economic devastation, and continually stolen elections. Trump seems to be declaring that the time for waiting and for patience has ended. This isn't a series of mean tweets or a two-page endorsement of a friendly governor This is a 12 page dismantling of the corrupt and illegitimate government as represented by Joe Biden. And I want to read that second to last sentence once again, the Democrats know that I would correct all of this and they are doing everything in their power to stop me, but we can't be stopped. And he's right. This has always been the situation. Nothing can stop what is coming. The truth is here. It has arrived. Everyone knows it. Everyone recognizes it. Everyone understands it. We are not going to reach the child brains and those Biden voters who have continued just to drift off into ignorance and apathy. Their period of bliss that began on November 7th, 2020, when the TV finally said that Joe Biden would be president has come to an end. That time is here and they are gonna, sadly, be left behind. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Hold up.